It was late now. And it's been going on for several hours. They didn't know that this day, their life was going to be radically changed. Everything that they believed in was going to be radically shifted. Everything that they saw was going to be radically changed. Everything that they knew was going to be flipped upside down. Their faith was lost, and the worst thing in their life was about to happen. Nothing they could ever fathom was about to happen. The darkest moment in history was going to take place in their life, and not just for them, but for every man, woman, and child. They were tired. This has been going on since 9 o'clock. They were scared. And they were very confused. This didn't seem like this was what's supposed to happen. And over and over in their heart, they kept thinking, is this really happening? Over and over, they came to this conclusion, this can't be it. And then it came, these words that are etched in eternal history. It is finished. But in three days, in three days, Christians understand that in three days, Jesus rises from the dead and great things happen because of that. But before we get to that point, all they knew that death happened. But this was the Messiah Jesus on the cross, dead, is where every radical story in Christianity should begin. This is where your story should begin. This is where my story should begin. This is where the church story should begin. This is where we make our faith in Jesus Christ. It happens right here. When we become alive in Christianity, it's because that scene and those words that are spoken are something that comes deep within if you can't look at that face on the cross and that broken body, it's because you feel the same pain. Every radical Christian story starts with the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And when the word, when you start living out the word of God, when you start opening up and reading and living out the word of God and it becomes alive when you're reading and you're weeping and you're thinking about that moment and your heart sinks... That's when radicalness starts. We sang a song, none of us could earn it and none of us deserve it. But the grace of God, the abandonment to God and the word of God becomes everything to us and our life starts to radically change. That's what makes us alive. But if this isn't radical to you, and we're struggling. We're struggling in our faith. This story is the most radical story in history. Not just because a man died upon the cross. This man was innocent. And not just that he was innocent. He had no sin. And he was a perfect lamb. An offering for you and I. So that we can live a full life. Now if that's not radical enough. I don't know what is. But even better. We know the end of the story. 
Two endings. First of all, three day he rises up and we have this resurrection power that we live in today. And even better, one day he's coming back to take his people. And then he's going to fight the battle and we're going to watch. You think he wants you to fight for him? Not by the way some of you live. Listen, this story is radical. The question is, is it enough for you? Is the cross enough for you? Is the death on Jesus dying on the cross enough for you? Is the resurrection enough for you? Many of us say, amen, yes, hallelujah, I'm singing worship, I'm going to kneel before you, I'm going to come before you, and I'm going to celebrate you. But the truth is, it's not enough because your life hasn't been radically changed. You're still doing the same things you were when you first met Jesus. You've been in church 5, 10, 15 years, and you're still struggling with the same sin because you haven't been radicalized by Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross. Why isn't it enough? Why have Christians become sleepy? How, why has our church, and I'm talking about journey today, why has our church become lazy? Why has the church in Ventura County in the world become complacent? The Bible warns us, Revelation chapter 3, it's better for you to be cold than lukewarm. But we all get into our comfortable, lazy spot, and we don't get radicalized. And when we think of radicalized, we think of another religion going out and killing people, and we need to get radicalized with the love of Christ so we can transform people. Our church today, if we did a health check, is lazy. We had 14 people sign up over uh, the, the serve fair, one for three weeks. That's lazy. We have this mindset that other people are going to serve my kids. Other people are going to raise my kids. Other people are going to set up. Other people are going to tear down. Other people will tithe. Other people will preach and share the gospel. Other people will invite people to church. Other people will pray. You don't know how busy I am. And I'm talking about you, not me. And is it just journey? No. And if that message of the cross is not radical enough, he rose so that you have that resurrection power. This is your faith. This is not me. I'm going to heaven, and me and Christ are going to have a beautiful relationship. I know him. I love him. I cherish him. I read about him. I tithe. I serve. I'm okay. The problem is, is I'm your pastor. And I don't want to go to heaven with a bunch of people that are going, why didn't I? The last three weeks, we've talked about the grace of God, the word of God, and abandoning to God. And that is to radicalize us for the love of Jesus Christ. We need to look to the cross. Every radical story starts at the beginning of the cross, and today it needs to start. If we don't get radical in our faith, you are never going to grow to be the person that God wants you to be. If you don't get radical in the way that you want to change, your life is never going to be different. You're going to be here in 30 years, still going to the same church, still giving the same amount, and not changing one bit, except maybe like me, growing wider. 
If you don't get radical, how can he heal you? How can he grow you? How can he put you in that place? Don't you wake up every morning like I do and go, Lord, just put me in that right place. Just put me there and I promise I will speak your words. God wants to radically change us, and today the church changes. Right before your eyes, the church will change. Peter writes to the church. He gives this general epistle, and this is our memory verse, and he challenges us. We get so complacent that we look at this verse, and we don't even see any action in it. Yeah, it's a great letter. How does it pertain to me? Now, who would want to harm you if you're eager to do good? That's an action. But even if you suffer for doing good and what is right, God will reward you. Action. So don't worry or be afraid about the threats. Instead, worship Christ as Lord of your life. And then if somebody asks you about hope, Christian hope, then always be ready to explain it. This is our memory verse, and this is a radical life for Christianity. But is it enough? Today, I want you to memorize this sermon as the $100 sermon. Hopefully, by the end of the message, that this $100 sermon will make so much sense that you'll never forget this message. It's not because I'm preaching it. It's because this is what God wants to give you. So this is the $100. Who likes $100 bills? James' hand was first up. Okay, you got one? (laughs) I was going to trade you if you had one, but... uh... Yeah, I, I like $100. I, the way I used to live, I used to put like 20 of these in my pocket and walk around, honestly. That's how I like to live. That's how it makes me feel. feels good. We like $100 bills, but that's not what God wants. This $100 bill represents you. This is your Christianity right here. Your face is on it. This is your $100 bill. And God is going to ask, what are you going to do with your $100 bill by the time you meet your maker? By the time you get that opportunity to have your arm around him, well done, good and faithful servant. Hopefully that will make sense to you in a little bit. This $100 bill, this is you. And here's the principle. The more that you give away, the more generous we are, the better your relationship with God is. And the Bible says the better reward on earth as it is in heaven. But when you get to heaven, it's like that super multiplier you get on Candy Crush. Something happens in earth that, that really blesses us, but when you get it to heaven, it like quazillion-trizes it. Is that even a word? I just think I made up a word. Don't leave. It was just a joke. When you get into heaven, our, our riches are exemplified by God, and that's what he wants. Our relationship's better when we learn to give and become more generous. Radical giving is the message today, and it's talking about being a cheerful giver. Now, before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about the lottery today. Uh, Last week, we had a $1.6 billion lottery winner, right? Anybody play the lottery? Yeah, everybody, a little guilty. I did. I I personally didn't, but. So let's talk a little bit about lottery because I think it makes sense. First of all, California passed a law sometime in the 90s, early 90s, and it said that we're going to do this lottery, and all the schools were going to be awesome. There's going to be so much money. Remember that? I don't think that really worked out, by the way. We passed two or three bills recently that we have to fix those problems, and we're still struggling. So the lottery was a lie, first of all. And there's an article about this that's this. When the Californians first started playing the lottery, 
They said that 70% of all Californians were making this, that were playing. Today, 25, 30 years later, 50% are playing now of all Californians are playing. And what that means is the odds have changed and they're trying to keep more money. And your numbers, I don't know if you're a numbers person, it's for you to win is astronomical. It's not, even, it's not even funny. There's an article, type it up, the lottery uh, is rigged. You type it up in Google today and you'll see. So that's not what I'm trying to talk about. Here's the thing. Our world struggles with greed. And we play the lottery because we want to be greedy or we want money. And it's not because we're like greedy going, oh, but we're thinking, well, what can we do? We'll give to the church and we'll make sure Journey has its own building. We all have good things, but we still struggle with what we want from it. Do you know that 70% of all lottery winners lose the money within four to five years? 70% have broke. They have zero money left. It's not like they have a million-dollar boat or a mansion. That's all gone. Even if they win hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't know how, po- how it's possible, but it's possible because it happens all the time. That's number one. Number two, the people that can't afford the lottery, the lowest-income people, Spend $432 a year on the lottery. Who could do something with 500 bucks today? I know I could. Here's the last part. There's an article. That's how the lottery, winning the lottery makes you wizard, uh, uh, miserable. Jack Whitaker says, I wish we had torn up the ticket. And he sells a story. You can look at this article on time, and it talks about how it changed your life. Go to the next one, Sterling. Abraham Shakespeare, this guy got killed in Florida because he won the lottery. They killed him. Go to the next one. This lady said her best friends, her church friends, her deep-loved friends became vampires, sucking the life out of her. She wished she would have never won. Her best friends, her family members were taking and wanting money. Go to the last one. The lottery's hijacked me. She said, this is the worst thing, and now she's living in bankruptcy. There's an article, and countless numbers of people are on there saying, if I just win the lottery, my life will be changed. We'll ask these people. It's changed, but not in the way that you think. Our greed is a struggle. And in the world, there's no solution for it. In Christ, in Christianity, there is a solution. It's called generosity. That's the only solution. And today we're going to talk about that. Today we're going to talk about the $100 sermon. Oh, by the way, the last time it was close to a billion dollars, which was like a year and a half ago, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to be really cool and I'm going to buy some tickets online. And I bought like four tickets and they were like six bucks a ticket. And I bought them online and I printed them because I'm thinking I'm going to win a billion dollars from the super lottery in New York, right? And then my wife's like, you bought tickets? And I'm like, yeah, where, what liquor store did you go to? And I'm like, no, I bought to the one in New York. Yeah, she goes, you can got for a dollar, right? And I spent six bucks a ticket online. Somebody stole money from me, which made me feel really bad. But here's the thing. We were driving, and my wife's like, it's $900, billion, $900 million. And she goes, you know, if you won the lottery, you'd never be able to preach on Sunday. And I said, What? And she goes, everybody, the church would be packed, but at the end, there'd be a line talking to Jeff because I need 10,000, I need 50,000, I need 500, I need 5 million for a business investment. You would never be able to preach. They wouldn't want to hear your sermon. They would just want to meet you, and you would never be able to present the gospel anymore. I'd have to hide. And you know what? That was the last day I played the lottery because I'd rather preach the gospel than win the money. Don't clap for me, clap for my wife, because I'd probably still be doing it, because I'm that stupid. 
So this is you. What are you going to do with it? The reason why this is called the $100 bill sermon today is because I got $200 stories that are going to help you understand why uh, giving is important and radical giving will change your life. So here's the first story. The guy doesn't go to church anymore. I'm not going to say his name, but here's the first story. A guy came to me several years ago. I think we had just moved or we're getting ready to move into this building. So the church was really young. We were barely making any money. Uh, we didn't even know if we were ever going to be able to fill this auditorium and uh, let alone two services. And this guy comes to me and says, Jeff, I got a $100 bill. And I'm like, cool, can I touch it? I haven't touched one in a while. And, uh, and uh, he showed me, and he goes, the problem is, Jeff, in like seven or ten days, I forget what it was, he says, I owe $1,400. Now, in my old devious mind from the old days, I'm thinking, I can make that money easily. I got some wheeling and dealing. I can do some stuff. I can do some damage. So I, I could probably pull it off. But in my head, I'm like, that's not a very Christian pastory way. Gambling or selling weed or something doesn't make sense. So that wasn't the advice, but the things that were going through my head, that was kind of the stuff that was going through my head. But as I started to talk to him, the first thing I asked him, I'm like, how's your giving? And he's like, Jeff, you know we've been struggling for four or five years, and you know there's just not enough money, there's not enough ends. And I said, yeah, I know, but the problem is, is God wants to be a part of your life, and if you don't even throw a little bit in, how can he give it back to you? And so he kind of got like, yeah, well, you know, we want to, we really want to. Well, like, yeah, God really wants you to. He really wants you to so he can help you. And so, uh, anyways, long story short, I got to get going. Long story short, I basically said this. Why don't you take that $100 bill and give it to God and see what he can do in seven days? That's a better risk. And he's like, nah, man, that's too radical. And then we left. And he left the church, not because of, probably hated my jokes or didn't like my story, but the point is this. Over the next few weeks and months and years, his life just got wrecked. And it wasn't because he didn't put the $100 bill in. I'm not, that's not something I'm saying. The point is, God wants to bring us to a point where his grace is enough. And in my weakness, that he is strong. And sometimes he lets, God lets all that stuff and things fall apart so that we can magnify him and we can come. Last week's message was to end, was to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 9 and meditate, my grace is enough. God says, my grace is enough. In my weakness, God, you are strong. And all week I was meditating. Even on the golf course this week, I'm in the woods trying to hit out of the, out of the woods. And I'm thinking, God, you got to do something here. So today's a heart check. I don't know where your heart is. I don't know where your heart is today. But this $100 bill sermon is what we call a heart check. It's like you go into the doctor, but today we're going to the great MD. Jesus Christ, and we're going to do a little heart check on all of us. Today we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, here in verses eight and chapters 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul is talking about this thing called the ministry of giving. Do you realize that there's a ministry of giving, first of all? We do it every week, it's called the offering, but there's a ministry of giving, and without the ministry of giving, the church can't really move. It can do some things. But it really can't do all things because the ministry of giving is a struggle. Now, let me say before we get into this, our church is fine. We live on 80%. Every dollar that comes in, we live off 80%. We give 10. Actually, last year, we gave 13.5% of our money away. And we saved 10%. So we live on about 78%. So I'm not asking this because I want you to tithe more. 
That's not the purpose of this message. This is a message that I'm going to go before God. I'm going to go, and he's like, well done, good and faithful servant. But Jeff, your pastoring suck because you're afraid to talk about money. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to come before you, and I'm going to give you this $100 bill sermon so that you understand this is what God wants you to hear today. Amen? So the Apostle Paul, we're going to go from uh, chapter 9, verse 6 to 14. The first five verses, the Apostle Paul is like, do you realize there's this ministry of giving? And he's then relating to this church. The church in Jerusalem has swelled to 100,000 people or more. It's grown. Remember it says, the, Peter came out on the day of Pentecost and he preached. And it says thousands joined the church that day. And every time they preached, people were added. The church kept growing and growing. Now it's 20 years later and the church in Jerusalem is humongous and the problem is for you to claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and walk away from Judaism you're walking away from your job you're walking away from your family and you're walking away from your church and you can no longer work like you used to so all these people that claim Jesus that were uh, Jewish were ostracized or excommunicated from their area and so they couldn't work they couldn't do anything so what happened was you had this big group of people with no provision And Paul's like, the mother church needs help. Peter and James need help to make the church move. And so they're taking this offering to make make it work. And here's the main point of the message. Giving or generosity is a ministry that moves the gospel forward. It's to create a place where there's salvation. It's to create a place where there's revelation. It's to create a place where there's transformation. Without money, the gospel kind of sits in our hearts. And it doesn't move forward. And that's what Paul wants to talk about. So if you're able to stand, let's stand and read. And then we're going to pray. Chapter 9, verse 6 says, Remember this, a farmer who wants to plant a few seeds will get a small crop, but one who plants seeds generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, like right now. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So let's pray. Father, we come before you today and we are asking you to open up our heart. Lord, if there's conviction that needs to be convicted, Lord, let it be easily and done by your Holy Spirit. Lord, let us not get angry that we're here today because we're talking about money. Lord, let us just open up our heart and listen to the message and do a heart check. Father, build salvation Speak to us boldly with revelation. And Lord, I pray somehow, some way, you'll use this $100 sermon to transform someone today. Father, we love you. We honor you. We lift you up in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. The apostle Paul goes Jesus on us here. All of a sudden in chapter 9, he goes and he does this like Jesus does. Well, a farmer plants a vineyard, and Jesus always uses these analogies to teach. Now the apostle Paul is doing the same thing. You remember how a farmer is to work. And here's what he says. He says, one farmer plants few seeds, and he gets a small crop. Another farmer plants generously, and he gets this huge crop. We in Ventura County understand farming. One of my favorite farms is in Somas, right before the, 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 our office and the burrito factory. That farm is awesome. They plant so much stuff. They're moving so much crop. It's probably one of the most high-tech farms in the area. But we understand that you've got to plant and you've got to grow and you've got to water and you've got to harvest and all of that so that we can get a little cilantro in my avocado tonight. 
And the Apostle Paul knows these people understand that. And so he's using this idea. And then he says, you must decide in your heart, you must decide in your heart where you're at in this issue. This isn't about you giving today. This is about you figuring out where your heart is. And in this story, he says, don't give reluctantly. This isn't a shaking you down. We're not doing a building campaign. This is about where you sit in life and how you live and how you treat your family and your spouse and everybody around you. That's what he says. In this little section, these two verses, there's two kinds of giving from the heart that Paul talks about. The Greek word in this means sparingly, those that plan a few or sparingly. That's the Greek word here. And then the Greek word for generous is bountiful. Here's the first part. Here's how not to give, he says. Don't give sparingly or with a few seeds. He says, here's how not to give. When he says sparingly, sparing means I'm, I'm going to give from an area that wants to hold back. When he says sparingly, I'm going to give from an area that wants to hold back. So give sparingly means there's something deep inside me that when I feel like I need to give and when it's offering time, I'm like... I'm going to give this, but I know that I've got the, 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 my fantasy football draft that I need to pay. I've got, I've got uh, you know, lottery tickets I need to buy, and my kids need a pair of shoes. And all these things start to happen, and what happens is we end up holding back. He says, sparingly has this place deep within us that wants us to hold back. Now, I don't know about you, and maybe you can agree with me right now. There's a lot of people asking for money all the time today, right? Everywhere. Last night, I went to go get some food so that me and my daughter and her friend and Liz could have dinner. And as I was going there, there was like some 16-year-old kid selling a candy bar. And, you know, I, I better check to see if it's good. So, of course, the candy bar, I don't know why these guys sell candy bar. The one that he sells me is 5 bucks. The one inside is only 79 cents. So I don't know who's the sucker. And I don't know how, oh, no idea if he's going to buy crack from that or he's actually going to give it to the house. I have no idea. But God's like, well, you're talking about generous. Are you going to be generous or are you going to be sparingly? I'm like, okay, I'm going to pay five bucks for this crappy candy bar. It tastes terrible. I wouldn't even give it to my dog right now. It's terrible. And so I give it. And so not only do I go, I go to the grocery store, right, Rachel? You go to the grocery store and I type in my number and it comes up, do you want to give to starving kids that are dying? And I'm like... Not really. <laughs> but if I don't push yes, then I'm going to look like an idiot that wants the kids to die. Okay, I'll give a dollar. And then you're like, oh, thanks for your gift. And everybody in line thinks you're so generous. I'm like, not really. I'm too embarrassed to push no. And then you got a homeless person out there. And then you got other ministries. And we got hurricanes and we've got issues and people are asking there's pressure to give and God's like don't give that way you know what he says when he says give generously it's not hey I've only I've got a hundred bucks and God wants me to give but I'm only going to give five I'm doing it generously though or happily he's like no you need to change your heart on the way you give every time we misunderstand what it means cheerfully I've got I'm supposed to give a hundred but I'm giving five yay no, you need to give the way God wants you to give, and you need to learn deep down inside that's how you're supposed to do it. Here's my second $100 story. Several years ago, before I became a pastor, I used to work as a landscaper, and I was a general manager of a landscaper, and honestly, I was making no money. I started out like 12 bucks an hour, and I think I got a raise one time. It was like 
15 bucks an hour. And then uh, I, I, my wages were getting garnished every two weeks for child support. So it was like 350 every paycheck. So by the time I would get my paycheck, it was like 258 a week. It was I was broke, you know. And uh, I'm renting a room, so you know how much that costs. There wasn't much money. And uh, so, and every time I got my paycheck, I'd give my 10%. I was tithing because I was, you know, I believed in God and I believed in what he was doing. And this one Sunday, I had a $100 bill. This is me. Got a $100 bill. Now, it was actually, I had $100, not a $100 bill. And I had 20 in one pocket and 80 in the other because I knew that I was going to give money. I had extra money, and I'm like, God, I'm so excited today. I got extra money. I haven't had extra money in months. I'm like, I'm going to give you a 20 spot. 20%, not even 10%, and I tied last week. So I felt pretty good about myself, right? So I'm going to give you the 20, and uh, I'm like, dude, I just, read this. I just read this chapter that week in my devotion, so I'm like, I'm generous, I'm really generous. So at the end, I, I, I went to Crossroads Church at the time. They're the ones that got me right with God. And uh, that's where I became a pastor at first. And so when the offering comes, and at the end of the service, they did the offering and salvation and altar call and did all that, and you would put your card in. Now, as the offering started coming around, God's like, Jeff, if you really want to be generous, go to the $80 pocket and keep the 20 for yourself and see how that works. And I'm like... Well, God, I wanted to go to the movie on Tuesdays, and I was going to get a Starbucks later, and I needed to make sure I had groceries, and I needed to fill up my car, and I was complaining because I'm like, well, I barely make it on 20 bucks, if at all. And you know what? By the time the offering came, I'm like, ugh, ugh. <laughs> There you go, bro. Hopefully you have a good week. So I gave me 80 bucks, and you know what? It was the greatest week of my life. That night, somebody invited me over to dinner, just a random family in church. I knew them. They invited me over for dinner. And then the next night, mom, mom's always open for a good meal and hopefully <laughs> meat on the table. So mom got, made me dinner that week, and she gave me some leftovers. And then on Wednesday, another family. And not only that, they gave me leftovers too. And by the end, on Friday when I got my paycheck, I had seven bucks left. And I put ten in my gas tank to make sure that I got through. And then on Sunday, when I went to church, God's like, remember, if you just did it generously, your life would be so good, but you're giving from a sparing heart. He's like, I want you to learn to be generous, Jeff. And that week's changed my life because I got radicalized by Jesus because I gave. Here's what the Apostle Paul wants to say. This is how you're supposed to give. Instead of like me sparingly, okay, God, rouse me for 80 bucks now, huh? Here's how you're supposed to be. The Greek means bountiful or generous, and it should be uh, come from the truth of who God is. We go back to the cross, and if you believe that he died and rose again in three days, that should be enough to say he's a bountiful God. If you don't know the truth that God is a promise keeper, that he's a giver, and that he loves you and wants to bless you, then you don't know God. You should just get up and leave. God and the promise of God is he's a giver. And I've got to believe that. And so how am I supposed to give? I'm to give to a bountiful God because he bountifully blesses us. And I'm going to learn to do it cheerfully. And it's something that I've learned long ago how to do. So the question is, when you give bountifully, where is your heart? What heart are you today? Are you that sparingly person with your hundred? Or are you cheerful because you know that you're working for the kingdom of God?
These two hearts are really the only places we have in our walk with Christ, in our life. And God wants to break them down. And he uses a sermon like this. Now, here's the thing. God is a giver before our giving, and God is a giver after our giving. Let me read some of this so that makes sense. And God will generously provide all you need, and then he will always have everything you need and plenty left over for you to share. When you're working for God, he, he gets you into what we call God's economy and the overflow of who he is. Verse 9 says, Then Scripture will say, They shared freely... And gave generously to the poor, and their deeds were remembered. Here, as Paul is talking about God being a giver before we even give, he's saying, look, I'm going to give, and I'm going to make sure you got plenty. And over time, if you're working in my will, there's going to be plenty to give to other people as well. So he's challenging you to give before you give. And then he quotes an Old Testament psalm, Psalm 112. And here's the thing. If you need some homework for this week and you're struggling with a sparingly heart, you should read Psalm 112. It's literally 10 verses. It'll take you less than a minute and a half. I'm a slow reader, and I read it in two minutes today. 10 verses, and it'll help you understand what happens when you're a generous person. But here's some of the things that it says. Paul uses this this image again about sowing and seeds and doing these things. And here's what Psalm 119 says, verse 1 through 4. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. How joyful is that I remember the cross and obey what he challenges me to do. Their children, those that are joyful and believe and are obedient, their children will be successful everywhere. A entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. And here's verse 4. This steps out to me. This is what I love. It says, light shines in darkness for the godly. They are generous, they are compassionate, and they are righteous. When we are obedient and we are generous, the God of light shines over us, and all of a sudden, the generosity and compassion and righteousness shine in the darkness in our life. And then verse 8 and 9, and this is the one that Paul quotes. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly because they're obedient and generous. And they will share freely and give generously to those in need. Their, their, their deeds will be remembered for enter, forever and they will have influence and honor. Now I want you guys to think for a second. Who's generous in your life? Think about the most generous person I know. I've got one that lives with me and it's easy to see. But think about the most generous person. Do they not have honor and influence in your life? When you think about that person, you're like, man, this guy, he's always generous. And, and you put honor and influence. And when we're generous, we have that same honor and influence. Verse 10 tells us that God is a giver after you give. He's challenging you to give, and he says, I'm going to provide. And then he says, afterwards, I will continue to give. Verse 10 says, for God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then the bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce what we call a great harvest of, of generosity. It's harvest season in America. For some of us, we call it Halloween. For you stuffy Christians, we call it Harvest Festival. Mm, that didn't go over very well. Uh, if you have complaints, Jeremy at journeythechurch.org. We love that. He deals with all the complaints of the issues at church. Here, during harvest season, and this is really harvest season in America, there's a harvest of generosity, and this is what I want to give to you. Let me read these next four verses. The Apostle Paul spells out this harvest of generosity. This is where we sow from a generous heart. 
Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when you take your gifts to those who are in need, they will thank God. So the two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believer in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give the glory to God for your generosity to them, and all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Jesus Christ, the cross, and what he did on the cross. And then they will pray for you with a deep affection because of the overflowing grace that God has given you. The four, the four aspects of this generous harvest or this harvest, gen, harvest of generosity are these. Number one, the more generous you are, the more that will allow you to give more. For whatever reason, I, I have a bunch of friends in Christian churches, not just this church, all over Ventura County, and some of them are super generous, way beyond what I would do. And you know what? They always have plenty of provision to give. I don't know why that works, but God's like, listen, if you give, I will give you more because he's like, you're the one that's giving more and more, so I'm going to use you more and more because your spiritual gift is to give. But God wants us all to be generous in the way that we give. So the more generous you are, the more you will be able to give. Number two, it will create a thankful heart. When you start to learn to be generous, the power of greed starts to slip away. The power of money no longer becomes your everything. And this spiraling mindset of you holding on to the 80 and giving the 20 starts to diminish because you're starting to give from a different place. Number three, the joy of seeing God meet his people's needs. You know, one of the blessings of ministry, I get to be a part of a lot of bad things, trust me. People dying and deaths and hospital visits and there's a lot. But you know what? I'm also some of the first texts and calls when God provides in powerful ways. When a woman calls and she's like, I'm broke and I can't fix and, and, and my kitchen's falling apart and all of a sudden out of the glory of God, the kitchen blows up and she gets a remodeled kitchen. And she's like, I've been praying for this for years, right? I get to be a part of that. I get to see God provide and he does it all the time. We just don't share it enough at church, and I hopefully we'll get better at that. Here's the last part. When you start to give, you start to love people. When I was a strung out drug addict, I hated everybody in the world. I thought you were all corrupt. When I started to become generous, I started to love all of you, even the ones I hate. I don't know how that works. God is a great giver. You can't outgive God. He deserves all the glory in his grace and generous giving. We are righteous, and our hearts are right with him. Now, let's get back for the last 10 minutes. I want to spend 10 minutes talking about this $100 bill. This is you. And we go back to that cross. We go back to the death and Jesus on the cross. This is the end of the sermon. Where are you at with your heart? I struggle to look at that picture. But we go back to the cross, and we think about how can I use me and my $100 bill over the next three months, over the next five years, over the next 30 years, for some of you young people, over the next 70 years, what is my $100 bill going to look like? And how is it going to work on my life? On that dark day where it says it was finished and Jesus is dead, 
we, our lives were radically changed, and they were radically changed because one man radically, willingly gave his life, radically, obediently gave his life, radically, generously gave his life so that you and I may have life and life to the fullest. And you know what? That's because he's God. But do you know in the story after it is finished, two normal men like me and you radically give, not knowing that Jesus was going to rise up in three days. Two men that we rarely talk about in the gospel radically give because they wanted to share their life. And they wanted to share in this. And they had no idea, though we know the end of the story, that Jesus came back in three days. They had no idea. Let me read this story. John, the Gospel John, verse 19, 38. Listen to these two men, these men that we just showed, and you will see how God shows himself. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and, looked and took the body away. And he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who, who earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of mirth and aloes, and about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of the men wrapped it with spices and in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a tomb in which they had never been, which no one had never been laid, because it was the day of Jewish, the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Here we see our two heroes carrying the body away. Famous painting. Jesus died, and we expect God to give because we can't outgive God. But now we have two men who have no idea what's going to happen on Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday. They're just going, the time is near. They need to do something. Nobody else is doing anything, and they're going to step up. And the first thing we see is Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes, and he brings 75 pounds of aloe and spices. It looks something like this. You know what? That was enough to bury 100 people, not just one. There's a guy that was actually the Apostle Paul's leader in, 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 in Judaism. His name was Gamaliel. And the history says that Gamaliel died, I think, in like 60 or 59 AD. When he died, he was the leader of all of Israel. He was the Sanhedrin leader of all leaders. When he died, they gave him 40 pounds of, of spices. But our king, he gets almost double that. Nicodemus gives a, a, a huge amount knowing that this guy was something special. He has no idea what's going to happen. What about Joseph of Arimathea? He kept his love secret. Are these guys great disciples? No, one day they get radicalized because of his death. They go back to the death. It's finished. It's over. And all of a sudden, they get radicalized and pumped. We've got to do something. One gives more spices to do 100 bodies. One gives a tomb and takes this honor of going, I'm going to go to Pilate and ask for his body. Not Mother Mary, not Mary Magdalene, not John, not Peter, not any of the apostles. This guy that secretly believes goes before the, the, the number one guy in town and says, can I have the body? And then he gives his own family tomb. And in that tomb in Jerusalem is the most powerful place I've ever been. When you step in there, it's powerful. 
And these two men have no idea. Today we know the end. We know Jesus is coming back. We know he rose again. They have no idea, but they have this $100 bill life going, now's the time, and I'm going to give. I don't care if it costs me five years of salary. I'm going to give right now because this man was special. They didn't come from the 20 side. They gave far beyond the 80. Where do you live? Do you know that everybody that was crucified, they used to break their legs. Jesus' legs weren't broken. He was pierced. And they would throw them in the pit and the animals would eat them. Not our king. Our king was treated like a king. Our king was treated like a king because of the generosity of two men. What about Mary six days later, a year worth of perfume nard? That still was probably smelling from Jesus' garment. She gave as well. Normal human beings, average, just like you and me, have the ability to rise up and be generous and watch the gospel move forward. Joseph, if you look him up online, there's a bunch of rumors of who he was. Seemed like he possibly got arrested after this, but it seemed like he preached and led a bunch of churches later down the road. One generous act changed everything because he was radicalized on that point on the cross. Life is brief. One day you're going to wake up and you're going to be close to that day. And are you going to come to Jesus with just this $100 bill that you buried? Or are you just going to have a few coins left over? Or are you going to be like that person that had 10 bags of talents? Talents is money, it's not your gifts. And are you going to take those talents and are you going to double them for the kingdom of God? This is you. The challenge is, what are you going to bring to God? Are you going to be that one that said, God, I took your hundred and I've lived 45 or 50 years or 75 years and I've turned it into 10,000, Lord. Hopefully that's enough to move the gospel a little bit. Or are you going to be that one that puts it in the pocket and says, Lord, you gave me a hundred. Here's your hundred back. I went to church every day. That person is called wicked. You know, the church was built on the sacrifice of Jesus, his body and his blood and on that cross. And from that moment, a bunch of know-nothing people like you and me, our sacrifices, our services built the church and keep it alive. This is you. What are we going to do with it? I don't know about you, but I know this, that somebody told me a long time ago, that ministered to me and talked to me about giving after the 80-20 thing. And we've learned to give as a family. So my family understands this. My kids, my wife, it's not easy. We talked about it for 12 years in our marriage. We've been married 12 years. Every time we give, it's not easy. We're not asking for a better offering today to fix your guilt. We're asking for a heart of sparingly to disappear and a heart of generosity to increase. Will you just bow your heads? Lord, will you wake up our church? Will you wake up this community right now so that we break the strongholds of greed and sparingly? 
Will you magnify our hearts so that we understand generosity? Yes, with our money, Lord. Yes, with our time, Lord. Yes, with our service, Lord. Yes, with our talents, Lord. Open us up so that we can give. And Lord, if there's someone here that wants to join this $100 family and become this $100 person so that they can give their life for the kingdom of God, if that's you today and you want to experience it, you can repeat a prayer of salvation and your life can be radically changed. Just repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart, Lord, and be my Lord and Savior. The Bible says you died and you rose again for me. And I thank you for that. Teach me more, Father. Holy Spirit, engulf my life. Come over me and teach me how to be a generous, obedient person. We love you, King Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.